Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, folks. Welcome to the podcast. This is a podcast for learners of English. And if you would like to speak better English and you're looking for a one-to-one teacher to help you develop your fluency, accuracy, and confidence, then you really ought to check out italki, the sponsor of this episode, because they can help you. With italki, you can find loads of qualified English teachers for lessons and speaking practice using Skype. You could have English lessons in the kitchen, in the living room, in the office. It's really convenient and effective. There are loads of teachers for you to choose from, so you can find the right one for you. And then simply arrange to have some lessons according to your schedule. This is a great way to get real English practice into your lifestyle. If you want to get a free lesson with italki, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Loads of my listeners are using italki these days, and you can do it too, so check them out. Okay, let's start the show. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there, welcome to this new episode of Luke's English Podcast. I'm speaking fairly quietly here, and I'm sure you can guess why. Yes, that's right, because I'm recording this with my baby daughter asleep in the cot next to me. Yes, she is sleeping again, which gives the impression that she is the perfect baby or something, that um, she's always sleeping, and it means that I can do things like record episodes of this podcast. Well, she is obviously a, a wonderful baby so far. There's always time for her to change, but so far she's been wonderful. But it doesn't mean that she's always perfectly behaved and quiet and uh, not crying and, and all the, those sorts of things. Really, it's just a question of timing that um, I just happen to be ready so that when she is asleep, which often happens for about two hours at this time of day in the afternoon, that when she is asleep, that's when I can um, start recording an episode. And who knows, she might wake up at any moment. Anyway, she seems to be all right. There you go, just a little baby report at the beginning of um, the episode there. She's going to be around while I'm recording for a while, not just today, but generally, um, until um, we organise childcare in France, childcare happens often quite early, within a couple of months of the child being born. Um, and uh, and so when the childcare happens, that's, that's a creche, basically. A creche is like an organised place where you take your child and, you know, they, they're with other children and they get looked after uh, by, you know, qualified people, um, like a nursery. So when she goes to the creche, then... Um, my wife and I will have a bit more time to to work and do all the other things. But in the meantime, here she is with us. And uh, so we're sort of juggling work life, looking after the baby, and um, 
everything else, everything's kind of up in the air at the moment. And so I have to take these opportunities to record the podcast whenever I can at the moment. And this is one of those opportunities, ladies and gentlemen. All right, then. So here is part two of this episode about my experiences of not really learning French. In the last one, I talked about how I learned some French as a child and how uh, I feel like I'm not really learning it as an adult, despite living in Paris. And I made a load of excuses about this, which is exactly what you shouldn't do, of course, because excuses are no substitute for taking action. In this episode, the plan is to talk some more uh, to talk about some more experiences I had while learning French, specifically some lessons that I took at a language school a few years ago here in Paris. I wrote some thoughts in a diary while I was taking those lessons. Um, and I'm going to read out those thoughts and then discuss the relative benefits and drawbacks of learning a language in a classroom versus learning on your own using self-guided methods. There will also be some comments and reflections on teaching a foreign language to groups in a classroom environment too. Uh, But first, here are some comments from listeners after the previous episode. Um, So these are just some comments um, that have been written on the website uh, in the last couple of days since I recorded and, and published part one of this. And my listeners are being very kind and understanding as usual. I received quite a few messages um, in various forms on Facebook and Twitter and the website. I can't read them all out here, but this is a a little selection. Uh, On the subject of receiving messages, um, it's very nice to hear from you. I'm sorry if you have written to me um, and I haven't got back to you. Please know that I do read everything I receive, including all the emails that come into my inbox, and I appreciate your thoughts and comments very, very much. Um, I'm sure that there are some emails that I haven't responded to because what happens is the emails come in and I've said this before, it might be that I'm, you know, in, in the supermarket or, you know, about to get on a train or something and the, you know, and I, the email just stays in my inbox and then, you know, then just more emails come in and the email just disappears into the inbox. So if you have got in touch with me, I'm sorry, you know, I'm just so bloody popular, you know, just so damn popular it's just a it's a nightmare it really is everyone wants to get in touch with me um right anyway so here are some messages and comments so the first one is from cat um who we have established on on the podcast before is not actually a cat she's just called cat she has a a, the profile picture of a cat but um as far as we know she isn't actually a cat Uh wouldn't it be hilarious if she actually was a cat a cat who'd learned how to not only type and use the internet, but also speak English. No, her, her name is Catherine, short, yeah, and cat is short for Catherine, yeah. Don't worry, Luke, none of us thought she was actually a cat. That would be ridiculous. Oh, of course. Okay, anyway, cat wrote this. She said, Luke, I find your lack of French disturbing, which um, is joke because um, obviously she's quoting Darth Vader from the film Star Wars. You've heard about Star Wars, haven't you? Of course you have. There's a scene in the original Star Wars where Darth Vader um, is being criticised for his faith in the Force, in the dark side of the Force. And Darth Vader's response to this is to choke the person he's talking to using the Force. And you know the guy starts choking. And Vader goes, I find your lack of faith disturbing. 
So here Kat is saying, Luke, I find your lack of French disturbing. Uh, Just kidding, she says. It it must be utterly difficult for you if everyone wants to make use of you as the best-known English teacher on the internet. The best-known English teacher on the internet? I don't think so. Who is the best-known teacher on the internet? It's got to be it's got to be AJ Hogue, hasn't it? It must be, I think. Um and um probably other people on YouTube. Anyway, she says it must be difficult for you if everyone wants to make use of you as the best known English teacher on the internet. Also, your head is busy with all these millions of ideas for your podcast, the gigs the comedy gigs and so on. There's almost no room in your brain left free for other languages. You're totally absorbed with creating quality content for your audiences. Thank you, Kat. Uh, You shouldn't be judging yourself too hard. You have your priorities and you're doing a great job. Now, with uh, with raising your child bilingually, you have the task to pass on to her the exquisite English... Uh, that you have. Uh, we should be doing things we enjoy and not do things that other people expect from us. That guy at the party had been downright rude. He should be thoroughly ashamed of himself. Okay, well, thank you, Kat, for, for um, saying those nice things. Uh, Jack in the comment section wrote this. He said, come on, King, don't beat yourself up too much. Your French is much better than my English which is frankly not true um, because, Jack, your English is clearly better than my French. But, I mean, that doesn't mean my French is utterly awful. It just means that your your English is actually very good. I've seen Jack writing comments in the comment section about subjects as diverse as uh, quantum physics and all sorts of interesting uh, things. So, come on, Jack, come on, come on. Obviously, um, that's not true. But um, still, thank you for your encouragement. And he used that expression, don't beat yourself up too much. Um, Actually, I've I've written down a few phrases and things that um, occurred to me, either phrases that I used in the last episode or just ones that kind of seem appropriate. So we've got don't beat yourself up. If you beat yourself up, it's like being very, very critical, very self-critical. Okay, right. And if someone is like, saying lots of things oh you know my 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 french is terrible i'm just a terrible student oh i'm awful oh god i should be ashamed of myself and you might say oh come on don't beat yourself up to beat someone up would mean normally to to physically attack someone and you know hit them or kick them until they're really badly injured you know it's the sort of thing that might happen on a friday night outside a pub you get out, you come out of the pub, everyone's been drinking and there's a fight and you end up being caught up in the fight and you, and you get beaten up. Some guys beat you up and maybe like steal your phone or something. Horrible thing to happen. Uh, but yeah, to beat yourself up, not literally. I mean, you're not literally like punching and like punching yourself in the stomach. Why isn't your French better? You know, no. It just means um, criticising yourself. To beat yourself up. Another one is um, don't be too hard on yourself. If you're hard on someone, it means you're strict or you're very critical of them in a very strict way and you can be hard on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Um, Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. 
Uh, well, you know, to be encouraged, like, yeah, go on, you could do it. Yeah, I'm feeling really encouraged right now. Thanks for encouraging me. Well, the opposite would be to get discouraged. Um, and that would just be where you're like, oh, you know, I just don't think I'm doing very well. I'm just, oh, I'm not going anywhere. This is a disaster. Come on, man. It's all right. Lighten up. Don't get discouraged. You're, you're all right. You're doing okay. So don't get discouraged. And the other one was self-flagellation, which is um, a phrase you might have heard me use in the previous episode. Self-flagellation, that technically means like whipping yourself. It means literally whipping yourself as an act of self-punishment. And I think some, you know, sort of people with strong religious beliefs might um, uh, whip themselves as a way of punishing themselves for committing sins. So that's self-flagellation like whipping yourself but also it is used as a way of talking about excessive self-criticism a bit like beating yourself up so there you go uh jack said don't beat yourself up your english uh, your french is much better than my english well uh not true uh nick in the comments section said i've realized after listening to this episode that i want to see a french beach yeah because um i talked about uh how it's possible to see people completely nude you know um uh topless topless ladies and things like that not not in all french beaches i mean it's a bit of a cliche that the french are very sort of open and free with um, nudity but they are more they're a bit more liberated in that sense than than the british than british people are and there are nudist beaches in france usually they're private beaches but you can find you know, private beaches where everyone's just completely naked. Um, so if that's your cup of tea, then uh, get yourself over to France and uh, whip your clothes off as long as you're at the right beach. Don't just arrive at the airport and, well, here I am in France. No, that's not advisable. You need to be in the right place um, and at the right time. In the middle of winter, yeah, not advisable. Anyway... Um, so another comment, this one from Facebook, which was from someone called MJ Moreno. And uh, the comment goes like this. Funny title. I'm wishing to listen to the episode. So I just wanted to correct that one. Uh, not I'm wishing to listen to the episode. It would probably be I'm hoping to listen to it, which suggests that there's a chance you won't listen to it. So it's like, oh, I hope I can listen to it like fingers crossed. But I think that's probably not the right expression. Um, instead it would be I'm looking forward to listening to it I'm looking forward to listening to it so not I'm wishing to listen to it and probably not I'm hoping to listen to it although that is grammatically correct Uh, the one the expression we need here is I'm looking forward to listening to it looking we know forward that's f-o-r-w-a-r-d to listening and notice that look forward to or looking forward to is, is followed by an ing I'm looking forward to listening to it. There you go. Very, 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 very common phrase. That one. I'm looking forward to. I am. You know. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm looking forward to receiving your reply. I'm looking forward to listening to this episode. Caesar, San Vicente Vignes, said in French, "Faut pas de, faut pas se décourager." Um which means don't get discouraged. Faut pas se décourager. Hmm, okay. Chloe, um, who's French and uh, from Paris, 
wrote this. She said, Hi Luke, ne sois pas si dur avec toi, which means don't be so hard on yourself. Ne sois pas si dur avec toi. Don't be so hard on yourself. I'm pretty sure that you can improve it. Bon courage from a Parisian girl. Well, thank you, Chloe. That's very nice and refreshing and just proves that Parisians can be lovely and nice and encouraging and positive. And um, despite the fact that I I said a couple of things about some experiences I'd had with people who um, weren't very uh, complimentary about my French, that just shows that, you know, obviously I know plenty of Parisian people who are also very nice and very helpful. And Chloe, for example, is an example of that, for example. Okay, good. Uh, And then um, this comment from someone called Luke from Poland, but I wonder if that's your real name. Um, surely if it would be Lukasz uh, or Lukas or something. Anyway, Luke from Poland wrote this. He said, and this is in response to the drilling that uh, has been happening uh, next door. Uh, remember, I live next door to a hotel and the hotel has been doing some drilling work in the next room, which has been incredibly loud in our bedroom. Just like the loudest noise um, ever just the industrial levels of drilling, like making the whole house vibrate. Uh, And they were doing it on a Sunday, which was just bang out of order. Anyway, uh, this is what uh, Luke from Poland said. He said, Hi Luke, your story about drilling has inspired me to write a poem for you. And then he included the poem. So here is the poem. And it goes like this. What about my neighbour's drilling? I have rather mixed feelings. I know he just needs some holes in his floor and in his walls. He needs even lots of drilling in his ceiling. But the next sound of a drill makes me fight, makes me kill. And like a bloody beast with bare hands, with clenched fists, I will enter his own flat and I will kill him with cold blood. No, I'd rather stop this talk and I am going for a walk. All right then. Um, And he said, you may read it on the air and for sure it's going to save some lives of innocent neighbours. Assuming that my neighbours in the hotel actually listen to this podcast. Uh, Got a bit violent there, didn't it? I mean, steady on. I'm not about to go around there and commit homicide in cold blood. Uh, But anyway, I quite enjoyed that. Thank you for sending it. Now then, um, let's get back to the topic of learning French. I've got a cup of tea here, by the way. Let me just uh, uh, have a sip. Excuse me. Mm, lovely, lovely, lovely. Right, let's carry on. So, um, I'm going to carry on talking about um, my experiences of learning French or not learning French, as the case may be. And here I'm going to talk about my experience of learning French in a classroom as an adult. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about some classroom experiences I had while studying French a few years ago at um, a place called the Alliance Française, which is um, a bit like the British Council, for f- but for French. It's kind of like the French Council. They prom- the Alliance Française promote French culture. They also offer French lessons. Um, so it's a place where I, I went to take some French lessons a couple of years ago. Alliance Française, uh, as, a, as a school for French, is uh, good. It's got a good reputation. Um, generally speaking, I had a, a good experience there. And so I'm not really doing a review of Alliance Française. I think that they're 
well known for being good and reliable as a place to go and learn French. This is, in fact, the place where I um, I bumped into a Hollywood actress who was also learning French. See, this is the kind of life that I lead here, you know, I'm brushing shoulders with the stars. Um, it was actually a really weird surprise while learning French at this school that uh, um, we... This kind of like this rumor went round the school that there was a Hollywood actress studying French in the school. It turned out to be Hilary Swank. I have talked about this on the podcast before. Hilary Swank, she she sort of disappeared a little bit from Hollywood these days, but I think she was Oscar nominated. She may have even won an Oscar for a Clint Eastwood film back in what, 2004, 2005, which was called Million Dollar Baby about a a, a girl who becomes a boxer. Remember that? Hilary Swank. Anyway, she was there. Yeah, just hung around with Hilary Swank. She, actually, I tried to talk to her and, and failed miserably. Uh, I went up to her and I was like, oh, so you're learning French? And she was like, yeah, I am. Bye. And just walked off. So great. Anyway, uh, good experience at the school, generally speaking. So a few years ago, I went to Alliance Francaise to take some French lessons for a couple of weeks. Actually, my wife bought me the lessons as a birthday present, which was nice, and as an effort to, to get my French off the ground. She wanted to encourage me to work on my French uh, and as a birthday present, so she bought me the, the lessons, which was very sweet of her. Uh, and while I was studying there in a, in a group class, um, I wrote some notes and um, I had like my, my notepad and on, in the main part of the notepad I was writing my notes in French and stuff. Notes which, incidentally, I, I'm pretty sure I've never read again because we always do that or people always seem to do that. Well, not, not everyone. Depends what kind of student you are. And obviously I'm not the greatest student, which is ironic considering... I work as a teacher and I have done for many years and I always encourage my students to have certain study habits and then when it comes down to actually doing it myself, eh, it's a different story. Anyway, so I had my notebook and I was writing my notes down and and things like that and then at the back of the book, like on the cardboard page at the back, every now and then I would scribble down some things in English whenever they occurred to me. So when something occurred to me about teaching or about learning languages I would scribble them down on the cardboard bit at the back of the book because I mean Kat obviously is right that my brain apparently is taken up by things like podcast episodes and you know stuff like that that there's always probably quite a large part of my brain that is always thinking about well hey I could that could be a good episode of the podcast so I need to write that down or yeah, hey, this is sound, this could be a good joke. I'll write that down. I could use that in stand up. In this particular case, while studying French, I was also writing notes down in English for this, basically, so I could read them out on the podcast later on. Um, so I actually found those notes recently. Uh, found them upstairs. Uh, found the old uh, notepad with all the French stuff, and of course, my. My first thought was, oh, I wonder what I wrote about learning French. I could use that for the podcast. It wasn't, oh, what about my notes in French? Maybe I can just remember some of the French I learned. No, you can see where my priorities are. Anyway, so I have those notes here. I've transcribed some of them onto the, uh, onto the page for this episode. And I thought that I would just talk, you, talk to you about those notes, read them out, 
and try to remember what was running through my head in those classes. And I guess the point here is that I can reflect on my personal experience and generally make a few comments about learning a language in different contexts, paying particular focus to the classroom versus self-directed learning. So being a student again. So as a as a teacher, it was quite sort of quite a, a fun, interesting and strange experience to be on the other side, let's say, because, you know, normally for, for 16 years or more, I've been standing with my back to the whiteboard in front of the, the whole class um, and, uh, you know, teaching, sometimes moving around, moving around the classroom, you know, squatting in front of the students' desks and listening to them or looking over their shoulders as they do writing and, you know, being a teacher. But in this case, I was the student, which meant that I was just one of the people in the class. I had my little spot in the classroom and that my job was to do homework and arrive on time and try to be a good student. Uh, it was it was actually really, really fun to be in a classroom environment and not be completely responsible for all of it, and yet also to try to be a good student um, in the way that I'd always sort of hoped that my students would be when I was a teacher. Because as a teacher, you look at the class and you kind of hope that the students will behave in certain ways. Perhaps the most important thing for me is that the, the, the students kind of like pay attention to each other and that they uh, interact with each other and that they, they're not too introverted, that they are willing to take a few risks and that they will, you know, talk to other members of the class and ask questions and generally be a little bit outgoing. Um, so I tried to be like that, uh, thinking about, you know, what the teacher might be expecting from us. And, you know, I tried to be a good student. Um, so it was interesting being a student again. My uh, My daughter is making little noises. Is she awake? No, she's gone back to sleep. Okay, good. This is the voice that I should use when I'm concerned that uh, the baby will wake up. This is a bit like the voice of someone who is doing the voiceover on a nature documentary. And you join us here in the living room as we observe a small creature uh, sleeping it's a baby, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Anyway, so um, I was trying to be a good student, trying not to fall into the typical student behaviour or the typical bad student behaviour that I have seen time and time again as a teacher. See, as a teacher, sometimes you get a bit frustrated. Um, it's very common that you end up back in the teacher's room with your colleagues and you might express your frustration about your students who are not behaving in the way that you would expect them to. So the usual frustrating things that we complain about with our students and that we often will talk to our students about uh, to encourage them to, to change their behaviour, the normal things would be when students don't really listen. And that doesn't mean just not listening to the teacher, but especially not listening to each other. One thing I've noticed many times as a teacher is that uh, I will talk to the group and they listen to me and then when I ask someone a question that student will respond to the question but they talk to me and when the, that student is talking to me all the other students are also looking at me and I'm kind of thinking why are you looking at me that person's talking you should look at them it's, it's strange behavior it must be human nature you know you try and rearrange the classroom 
so that uh, everyone is sitting in a way that where they can face each other. You know, you create a horseshoe shape or some other kind of arrangement of the chairs. So everyone's kind of, you encourage people to actually engage with each other. And, you know, this sort of thing happens all the time. Uh, one person will speak to you and everyone else is looking at you. And then you answer that person. And then um, when one person, you get the impression one person has a question, they raise their hand, they ask the question to you, even if it's, uh, if, and if, if it's about the thing that that person just said. So it's just very weird behavior where everything sort of starts, being, starts going through you, like you become the filter or the focal point for everything. Um, even like when students are giving presentations, I've noticed one student's at the front of the class giving a presentation and you, st- you still get the impression that some of the students are still kind of looking at you, like as if uh, they need to check with you to see if what this person is saying is, is correct or not. Anyway, just kind of weird stuff. So not listening, students arriving late, that's annoying when students don't do homework that you've set for them um, and if they have rubbish excuses um, and uh, students asking completely unrelated questions. So you're, you're in the middle of, you know, you're trying to do a certain activity and uh, a student just asks you a random question that's nothing to do with that activity, which kind of derails the class as if the train is, uh, you know, the, the class is like a train going on its rails and it kind of derails the, the, the train or derails the class. Um, not paying attention to uh, other classmates or not listening to them. Um, uh, not really giving a crap about what's going on. You see that sometimes from some, some students. Not from my classes at the British Council these days. They're all responsible and motivated. But, uh, you know, in my career I've seen all sorts of behavior um letting the teacher do all the work that's a bit of an issue um and uh you know obviously you expect the teacher to teach but at the same time sometimes you find some students just expect to be spoon-fed and you know I, I kind of think well I can't learn English for you. you ultimately you have to do it yourself and I'm here to facilitate that but you can't just let me do all the work, kind of like when you don't understand something, just asking the teacher to explain it. So it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because the classroom environment sort of encourages that behavior in a way. It encourages the students to just sort of always use the teacher as a, as a resource, you know, to always using, just asking the teacher the question and stuff like that. It's a tricky one because sometimes that is often the quickest way to, to find the solution. Just ask the teacher and the teacher will explain it nice and quickly. But at the same time, you want your students to inc- to learn behavior that will allow them to work it out for themselves, you know, like how to work out what new words mean by looking at the context and using imagination and creativity and things like that. So um, still talking about slightly bad, typical student behavior, um, uh, not speaking the target language in the classroom. So in my classes, that would be when people don't speak English, they're speaking other languages in the classroom. Uh, or in when, you know, when I was learning French, that would mean, you know, not actually speaking French, but speaking English to other members of the class or being shy with the other students and not actually wanting to talk to them, kind of, um, you, you know, just giving simple one word answers to discussion questions, forgetting to bring the book to class, not really going along with activities the teacher is attempting to set up. Uh, looking at your watch, yawning, complaining, judging the teacher on the teacher's appearance and things like that. Those are all bad um, habits from students that I attempted to avoid uh, making. And 
My daughter is now awake. Hello, darling. Yeah, she's awake. Okay, I'm going to carry on, but she might start making sort of baby noises, which will eventually turn into crying. Because the way it goes is that she normally she'll just be asleep, and then with her eyes closed, she starts moving around. Maybe the legs start kicking. Maybe the head starts moving from side to side, and then the eyes open, and she's the the she starts wriggling. And making noises like noises like that, and then within a few moments, full-blown crying might happen, and she needs either to be changed or fed or bounced up and down on the yoga ball. Uh, let's see how this develops. Okay, so I, I went to the Alliance Française uh, and had my level checked. So I had a level check, which is where they ask you to do a few little uh, language exercises and you have to do a piece of writing and there's a little interview. And I mean, the whole process is exactly the like, exactly the like, exactly the same process as um, uh, what, um, uh, as the way we process our students at the British Council. We give them an interview, they do a, 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 a test that focuses on grammar and vocab uh, and a spoken interview and then we give them a level and then help them choose what date and time uh, every week they want their classes and uh, and all that stuff and then they go into a class so i was i was given my level check and um i was actually kind of quite relaxed in a way because i i just focused on trying to well i just focused on trying to answer the questions and you know trying not to fall into those bad student habits uh i bought i, I was put into an a2 class you know the levels we start sort of at a0 is absolute beginner which is kind of like basically nothing, no, no, no English, no French at all. This is the common European framework of, lang- of reference for language levels. A0, absolute beginner. Then A1 is, is like elementary. A2 is pre-intermediate. Uh, then B1 um, is, um, is intermediate. B2, upper intermediate. C1, advanced. And C2, proficiency level. So I was put into an A2 class, which is elementary. And that was probably because of my accuracy and my range of grammar and vocab. Um, I don't really have a lot of accuracy, but I'm not really sure. I was never actually given a summary of my skills and problems. I mean, I think I, I, I talked about it in the last episode that my main skills and things like, you know, listening and reading, my receptive skills are much better than my actual productive skills. So I, I bought the book that, that um, was being used for that uh, class and uh, we... I think I was studying for about two weeks in the mornings. I think it was three hours every morning for about two weeks at the beginning of summer. So I was on, I was kind of on holiday. So I had all the time, oh, those days when I had time before this little creature arrived. This little creature I'm talking about, obviously, you know who I'm talking about. Um, my daughter, not my, not my, not my wife. No, huh? No. Anyway. So I bought the book and stuff, exactly like my normal experiences as a teacher, but from the other point of view. Okay, I've just um, just paused the podcast there. You didn't notice, of course, because of the magic of podcasting. But I paused the podcast and I have now picked up the baby and she's in my arms. And yes, I'm bouncing up and down on the yoga ball again. I had to pick her up because it was like a preemptive strike, a preemptive move. I reckon if I hadn't picked her up, then she would have had a meltdown, which basically means like a you know a, a screaming and crying fit, like ah. Um, so in order to prevent that, I've I've tactically picked her up and started sitting on the yoga ball, and here she is. She's now just sort of lying 
in my arms, yawning, looking around the room. Welcome onto the podcast, darling. Have, are you happy to be on the podcast? Okay, fine. Not a great contribution yet. We'll have to wait a couple of years before um, you can actually contribute anything of, of any real value other than just being cute. All right, let's carry on. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, really? Oh, oh, really? Are you sure? Oh, dear. I'm not quite sure what that means. I think that means, oh, just look at me and bounce me up and down. Don't do anything else. I think that's what that means, isn't it? Because, of course, I can't, I can't do anything else, can I? I can only give you 100% of my attention. Okay. All right, ladies and gents, I'm going to pause the podcast again. And then just give my daughter 100% of my attention and then carry on. Okay. Okay, she seems kind of calm now. She's just staring up at the ceiling and not crying. So let's carry on. Okay, so day one of my course, I joined a class that I think had already been studying together for a while. It's hard to tell, but often in language schools, when you join a class, you're not just with everyone like you don't find that everyone starts on the same day you tend to find that classes like keep keep going and there's like continuous enrollment so you just join a class that's already been together for a while so i i definitely got that impression um just joining this group and i I felt like the teacher already knew like the students and that they'd already sort of built up a certain kind of uh working relationship i don't really remember doing much getting to know you at the start um that's normal on day one of a language course. You normally spend quite a lot of time getting to know the other students, doing speaking activities and things like that, just to kind of get to know each other. And I think that's very important because that helps to develop the um, helps to develop the, the the kind of rapport between the students. A rapport is a sort of a working relationship, a sort of good working relationship. So you want to create a good rapport with um, between you and the students and so and the students and each other. You tend to find if the students have got to know each other a bit, like if they've spoken to, if all of them have spoken to each other at least once, that's going to help you, um, and that's going to help the class to, to operate much better everything's going to run more smoothly people will be more interested in each other there'll be a more friendly atmosphere people will be um less shy you know so getting to know you is really essential i don't remember doing much getting to know you at the start i think it was just a quick introduction i think it was kind of like so we've got i think i was i was new and a couple of other people were new and i think the teacher said okay we've got just a couple of new people today um and um we introduced ourselves and then it was just like, right, let's carry on. Um, and yeah, we didn't, I didn't get a chance to like mingle with everyone and stuff like that. I mean, I could have done it outside of class, except that during break times, everyone just went different in different directions and stuff. It would have been nice to have uh, done that, to, to, to have spent quite a lot of time mingling with everyone and getting to know everyone at least for a bit. Anyway, there wasn't a lot of that. And so there were some people in the class that I never actually spoke to at all. Um, and I often wondered what 
the teacher was thinking of us as a class because, you know, I was very conscious of that because as a teacher, frankly, you get classes that are better than others. Some class, I don't know why it is or how it works, but just classes just have their own personality, which is a sort of combination of all the people in the room at the time and the general dynamic between all of those people creates a certain atmosphere and personality in in that particular class so I often wondered what the teacher was thinking about us as a group I never actually asked I didn't want to um, give her a difficult uh, I didn't I didn't want to be difficult I didn't want to ask her difficult questions like hey what do we like as a, as a group mm. um, anyway I also I didn't catch the teacher's name at the start she said out her name to us at the beginning but I didn't actually catch it and, there, and I think she wrote it on the board, but then rubbed it off to write something else. And because I didn't really catch it at the beginning, it was basically just lost forever at that point. I don't really know why I didn't just ask her again. I could have just said, sorry, what's your name again? Sorry, I didn't catch your name. But maybe it's just I didn't really know how to say that in French. And so I just didn't do it. And then, and then you know, the lessons had started and I just never really got her name, which was awkward. I think it's really important to get people's names. It helps when you address those people. It's a much more sincere way of, of talking to people if, if you refer to them by, by name. Um, it really helps to create a good uh, connection. But, I mean, I, I, I quite quickly fell into some bad student behaviours, including not referring to my teacher by name. Um, and so the class, what did the class look like? Well, it was like, um, oh, what? You don't you don't want me to talk about that. Too too many traumatic memories. You weren't there. You don't know. I'm not. Is it because I'm not giving you one hundred percent of my attention? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm going to pause the podcast again. Okay. Okay, I've just um, had to do a bunch of like bouncing up and down. There was a bit of crying. I played some songs on the ukulele that entertained her for a while. There was a bit of just generally lying around on the bed trying to keep her happy and we're off again okay I think I need to hurry up a bit so other things were like I, I couldn't help being late a couple of times or well, not a couple of times probably every time I somehow managed to get to class like a couple of minutes late every time which was really annoying because that's one of the my pet hates uh, is when students sort of turn up late but yeah I did it too. Just one of those things, I suppose. Um, anyway, here are some notes that I wrote down. So imagine me in class sort of scribble these, scribbling these things down when I probably should have been uh, paying more attention. Anyway, one of the things that I wrote was this. Good to see that she's keen. She makes excuses for being two minutes late and seems stressed. So for me, this was the, the fact that she would sometimes come into class looking a bit stressed, carrying a big pile of papers and books and things, uh, and then would make excuses for being two minutes late to class, for me was a good sign because it showed that she was keen and that she cared. Because if the teacher drifts in without really sort of seeming to, to be at all motivated, that's probably a bit of an issue. So anyway, I was glad that she seemed to be keen. Keen meaning sort of enthusiastic and motivated. Um, uh, what else? Also, uh, while I'm saying these things, it strikes me that, you know, you might have different expectations or different sort of um, ways of judging whether a teacher is a good teacher or not, you know? 
like we all have our sort of different preferences or different expectations um anyway so another thing i wrote was this lots of photocopies so she'd prepared lots and lots of photocopied materials that she would hand out in each class we had a book um but also she would often hand out lots of photocopied material and i said i wrote it's very easy to get disorganized it really helps if the photocopies are hole punched this is a kind of a small detail um um but it seemed to be an important one that it helps if if photocopied sheets are hole punched you know um how do you hole punch uh uh sheets of paper well you you use a hole punch that's both the um it's both the verb and the the thing that you use to do it so anyway the, uh, they weren't hole punched and I, I always used to think oh i wish these were hole punched because i would want to put them in a in a binder anyway i and i said uh, i don't mind if they're not beautifully presented uh, the worksheets should be functional and that just made me think of all the time i had spent producing worksheets for my students and you know trying to make them look really nice trying to make them look a bit like professional materials but as a learner of english or a learner of any language really i don't suppose you care whether the worksheets look beautiful with nice pictures and and all the right fonts ultimately you just need them to be functional and clear and to help you um you know learn the language um I wrote, I wish she would just let us talk freely or just try to talk freely. So a lot of the time in class, she would, um, there was a lot of controlled practice because it was a sort of a low level class. I think that basically her mission was to try and really instill certain bits, certain key bits of grammar and vocabulary and pronunciation into us before letting us try and speak freely but i was desperate to just be allowed to to just try and speak freely even though i couldn't really do it for me i thought that i just really got that feeling of like i just wish she would just let us go and just let us speak instead of it always being under such control um i wrote down too much ttt ttt is teacher talking time there's ttt and then there's stt STT is student talking time. So I was aware that there was too much TTT. Now, I mean, reading these notes again just makes me realise that how judgmental I was being of her as a teacher. Um, and, uh, and I'm still being now in this episode. But I mean, it's kind of impossible not to do that when you're a, when you're a professional teacher. You kind of like just, um, uh, you know, you can't help picking up on these details. I liked the teacher, but I couldn't help sort of just noticing certain things. What's the matter? My daughter's complaining. Again, probably because I'm not giving her 100% of my attention. That's just the way it is, isn't it? All right, darling. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll play the, um, the bouncing up and down game in a minute. Ah, uh, okay. Right. <laughs> Pausing the podcast again. Okay. So... Oh, one nappy change and one meltdown later and we're ready to continue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So too much teacher talking time. And as a teacher, I'm very aware of this um, in my own classes. Um, the idea is so you're not supposed to, as a teacher, you're not supposed to talk too much because if you talk too much, you're basically taking away opportunities for your students to speak and practice. Right. I'm not sure I can carry on doing this episode. 
because it's not really fair, is it, for me to be doing this while my daughter needs my attention? It's not, is it? It's not, is it, darling? Maybe if I if I speak like this, you'll be more sympathetic. No, not really. She's currently sort of hugging me. She, I've got, I'm holding her in my arms. She's against my chest with her face sort of against my my the side of my face. Oh, <laughs> she just burped. <laughs> oh, well done, darling. You know, you, you as a parent, you get so proud when your child burps or does a fart or a poo. Like, well done. I'm so proud of you for doing a poo. Well done. It's funny, isn't it? Okay, look, I'm going to pause and I might come back to this later. All right. Okay, and we're back again. And uh, it's over an hour later. My daughter is now asleep in the cot. There is the sound of... I'm actually playing next to her cot the sound of an air conditioner through my phone. I've got an app which plays different types of white noise. Oh, she's awake. Oh, honestly. I mean, I, I love my daughter very much. Um, but she is derailing this episode of the podcast. Maybe I shouldn't have expected to be able to do this. I don't blame her, of course. Um, anyway, it's it's over an hour later. I'm playing the sound of an air conditioner next to her bed. Um, because white noise like that is supposed to relax her. Because apparently it's sort of replicates the sounds of the womb when the baby is in the womb it's actually quite loud in there um so they're used to the sort of the sound of the blood rushing around inside uh, the 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 mother's body and other noises and things like that so it's rarely total silence so kind of babies actually kind of like having white noise going on in the background and that includes the sound of things like an air conditioner so sometimes I play that uh, in the background. It helps her to relax and, and, and fall asleep. Um, so, yes, over an hour later, she's been changed. She's been fed. She's been bounced and soothed. And uh, she was asleep until I just started talking. And now she's woken up. She seems quite happy, sort of looking around. Hello. Um, we have a mobile hanging above her bed. And she kind of looks at uh, it's these birds like hanging she looks at the birds and it kind of makes her smile. It's quite cute. The cup of tea has been replaced by a glass of wine because it's now, well, it's basically wine time. It's it's um, it's like nearly 7pm. So I think I have the right to a glass of wine. This, this episode, although I've only spoken for about 45 minutes, it's taken me most of the afternoon and I need to get a move on. So... What was I talking about? Teacher talking time. So I said a lot of her talking time, this is my teacher in my French class from a couple of years ago, not my daughter. A lot, a lot of her talking time is lost. It's just lost on me. It feels very teacher oriented. She's explaining a lot and spending a lot of time setting up activities, but I still don't know what's going on because I couldn't really understand a lot of the things she was saying. So, okay, you know, take from that whatever you want. Uh, teach the students, not the plan. This is something I wrote down as well because this was um, uh, something that I was always taught to do um, when I was taking my teaching qualifications uh, that you would be told to write a very, very detailed lesson plan which would include minute by minute um, uh, 
descriptions of exactly what you will you would be doing and the kind of interaction between the students and stuff like that and the learning objectives for each part and you'd write this detailed plan and then you'd struggle to kind of keep the lesson to the plan because the lesson would get sort of the, the lesson would move into different directions for various reasons and if you pushed too hard to keep the lesson to the plan then you would be sort of um criticized for it because they would say well yeah you know you wrote a plan but you have to teach the students not the plan meaning if certain things come up you have to like um, uh, meet the needs of your students on a moment by moment basis rather than rigidly sticking to this plan which is kind of ironic considering you spent so long preparing the plan and uh, the, the plan was based on student needs and you know you did lots of um, um, uh, work analyzing their needs and predicting the sorts of problems they would have so if you stick too rigidly to the plan then that's bad too and um, so you know it's tricky for the teacher sometimes uh, the teacher is sort of pulling the students through the lesson even though sometimes the students would rather sort of um, just be given opportunities to just speak and, and given be given more freedom sometimes the teacher has to sort of impose a lesson on them and it's, it's hard for the teacher to work out whether they're sort of pushing the students too hard whether they should be letting the students um, uh, dictate the flow of the class um, next thing I wrote was um, one hour of pronunciation at the start of class with us trying in vain to pronounce certain vowel sounds so, yeah, at the beginning of every class, you would do one hour of pronunciation, lots of drilling of different vowel sounds. I mean, this is important in French because there are, you know, subtle differences between the vowel sounds. It's important to get them right because otherwise you can be misunderstood. For example, me and my issues with ordering water. Um, so I suppose this is really important because mastering these different sounds can make a huge difference to your intelligibility in French. But we spend an awful lot of time on it and I wonder how useful it is. I wonder if perhaps it's more important to develop fluency in the language and to ha to perhaps get some remedial correction here and there when it's necessary rather than going through all the vowel sounds and spending so long repeating and repeating even though I keep repeating them wrong. I'd like her to just let us talk and perhaps listen to us and correct us a bit and give us some much needed encouragement. I desperately need encouragement. I really need someone to tell me, yes, that's it, well done, keep it up. You know, um, I can't remember the last time anyone actually gave me positive feedback about my French. Uh, I'm in such a negative rut with French. I would love it if she gave me more freedom, some praise whenever I, you know, achieved anything, and also some remedial correction. That, I thought, would let me at least develop my fluency and the feedback would be more specific to the, you know, the issues that I'm actually having um yeah okay she um i mean you know i'm being critical she was very nice she always expects perfection but we need encouragement um sometimes i would like her to just let us talk without interruption and perhaps correct us later uh, but she won't let us utter anything but she won't let us say anything without it being perfect i just feel like i'm slamming against a brick wall all the time Maybe I'm too soft and I expect to just be great all the time and I have such high sort of uh, expectations. I constantly need praise and I'm, maybe I'm too intolerant of failure. I'm too sensitive or something. Some of the best language learners I know can tolerate a lot of failure and just keep coming back for more, perhaps out of stubbornness or just sheer bloody-mindedness. So maybe I just need to toughen up a bit. 
at this point in the recording, my daughter started crying again. So I had to just give up and abandon the episode. And I started again the next day. So let's carry on. Okay, so it's now actually the next day, many hours later. And the baby is asleep again, finally. So let's see if uh, I can carry on here. Okay, so let's go. Let's get through this then. So I, where, where was I? I was talking about the way that the teacher taught in French class and how, honestly, a lot of the time when she was, let's say, presenting language or trying to explain different features of pronunciation, I was completely lost. And it just made me think about what's the better method uh, for teaching. I wonder which one is better. Loading all the grammar, vocabulary and pronunciation into the learner and then expecting them to produce correct language as a result, or just letting the learner just struggle through uh, with a focus on communication, for example, sort of giving the learners just opportunities to uh, try and communicate more freely, and then helping them out in a remedial way, for example, you know, correcting them afterwards, or, you know, noticing exactly where they're going wrong in terms of their communication and sort of basing the teaching on on those things. I'm beginning to prefer the second option. I find it's more responsive and even natural to emphasise the learner's personal production of English and then work from there rather than just inputting so much. Um, I'm not in the classroom to gather information. I'm, I'm there to do things, to experiment, to make mistakes and then do it my own way. Sometimes the classroom environment and teacher don't let you own your English. But again, perhaps I'm expecting too much too soon um, in a kind of fairly low-level class and I might need to stop being so egotistical about it and just accept my role as a learner in this situation and just get down to some good old-fashioned studying and learn those verb conjugations. The whole experience is quite humbling. But back to the idea of the teacher controlling the class and using quite a rigid program, uh, being teacher-centred, you could argue that this is a, a, a problem from two different angles. Firstly, the teacher might rob the students of their independence, their natural tendency to just try to be understood and to communicate and discover the language and make mistakes, but to essentially find their voice in the target language. But also, learners might give up these things as they hand over responsibility to the teacher. In my experience, the best language learners are fiercely self-motivated and take full responsibility for their learning, but the language classroom situation tends to subconsciously cause learners to give up that responsibility to the teacher, so that if no progress is made, then it's the teacher's fault, and if a lot of progress is made, then the teacher is a hero. But that ignores the fact that personal motivation might be the most important factor. So perhaps the whole classroom situation encourages or can encourage bad habits in learners by taking personal responsibility away from them unless the teacher is particularly good and knows this and is always making sure that learners are taking responsibility for themselves while also giving them a structure and a framework and a safe space for learning. It's hard to be a good teacher. You have to know when to be in charge uh, of the class and when to be in control, and you also know how you also have to know when to just get out of the way completely and kind of let the students um, take control. So it's very hard, 
But then again, perhaps the classroom provides a space in which learners can basically get all of the answers that they wouldn't get if they were just out in the wild west of the real world, learning English on their own, or learning French on their own in this case, where nobody is there to lend a hand and it's all just a question of survival, which sounds kind of tough. You know, I mean, what you know, it's sort of all about what is the classroom space really for? Anyway, the debate in my head here is about whether the teacher gets in the way of the learners or is a vital agent in providing the learners with a moment-by-moment study plan. It's kind of a long-running debate, I expect. All too often, the teacher isn't able to just get out of the way, and so you plough through more and more activities being presented with language that uh, you have to take on, which, um, which often leads to the feeling that, as a student, you're kind of drowning which is something I was feeling quite a lot in those French classes. It might be nice to just spend some time asking the class some questions, like asking individuals in the class some questions as a group, seeing how the students answer those questions, and then kind of taking it from there, doing remedial grammar work, perhaps using the board, allowing the students to take part, giving uh, giving us, so this is me as a student, giving us some discussion time with the corrected language, with questions and phrases on the board, going around, listening to us, gathering feedback to correct us afterwards. There wasn't a lot of this happening, so I felt like the classroom situation was not being fully exploited. But then again, you know, it's easy for me to say that as a language teacher and also as perhaps the sort of person who likes to be given opportunities to improvise and sort of be creative... Not all learners, uh, not all language learners are like that. And if you just give them a blank slate, they don't know what to do. And they, they, some people find it hard to just produce language or, or, or just talk about things. You know, they might need a, a much more structured uh, system. Um, and also, this kind of remedial approach, which I'm talking about, does require a particularly nimble teacher. Nimble means you're able to move very quickly and carefully, you know, a bit like a cat, you know, the way a cat can climb up a, uh, a wall or jump over a, a fence or something. You know, cats are very nimble. They're, they're, they've got great balance and they're very athletic. So you, it does require a particularly nimble teacher. Uh, one who is able to adapt on the spot and come up with feedback and drills and little practice exercises and questions that identify the specific problem that the student has, how to remedy it and how to let the students practice it correctly and so on. It also requires that the learners are able to kind of go with the flow. Um, It's often more practical to just write the whole plan in advance and stick to it rigidly regardless of whether the students are really on board or following what you're doing. Um, Yes, so there you go. Um, Another point I wrote was, uh, I wrote, they have IWBs, which is nice. IWBs are um, uh, interactive whiteboards. These are these, um, I mean, the old-fashioned style was to use blackboards made of slate and you'd write on them with chalk. And then uh, whiteboards were introduced. You write on them with pens and you you rub the pen off. And now it's interactive whiteboards, which are kind of like big touch screens or big projection systems that allow you to um, 
uh, write on the screen, but also uh, show images, videos, um, and use other kinds of software. Like, for example, most uh, language learning textbooks these days have a, an IWB version, so you can kind of interact with the course book on the screen, which is kind of cool. So that was nice. It was great to have... Uh, uh, it's great to be. It was great to be studying a language in a classroom with IWBs, and the teacher was very good at using the IWB to present information. And sort of, uh, she gave us opportunities to go up and sort of interact with the board to do exercises together and stuff. Also, I found that the teacher was very sweet. Um, she was just really nice and and pleasant. And I also found, which is interesting, I found that she got hotter as the course went on, um, uh, which is interesting. Why is that? That's an interesting phenomenon. Maybe just because we spent more, you know, I spent more time with her. And so I got to know her and I got to sort of like her. But I found that she became more attractive as the course went on. Interesting that, isn't it? Um, I wonder if that's a common phenomenon that you kind of start to fancy your teacher. Um, I found that her efforts were, this is another thing I wrote, her efforts are very admirable. She intends to do an hour of pronunciation at the beginning of each class, and that has to be set up in quite a careful way, involving certain important stages in the exercises. So she's made an effort and has obviously spent time preparing this lesson, but a lot of her efforts are just torpedoed by latecomers or students who seem a bit slow. So... I mean, I, I kind of had sympathy for her because she'd obviously prepared her lesson very carefully, but some students would arrive late. I mean, not just a couple of minutes late like me, but you'd get students drifting in after half an hour who had no idea what was going on and who'd missed various sort of important uh, steps in the in the whole lesson. Uh, also, uh, her lesson would be torpedoed, torpedoed um, by... Uh, students who just seemed a bit stupid and like they just didn't really understand what was going on and it would took it would take them a lot longer than everyone else to just keep up um, I mean maybe because they were operating in another language but also I mean I know from experience that you find some learners seem a bit slow and a bit maybe a bit sort of I don't know if it's fair to say stupid but I'm going to say it anyway some students seem a bit sort of slow and a bit dim and you think, well, you know, they are they are operating in another language, and then you realise that they're the same in their first language too. So the human factor um, is just like this sort of random factor which can uh, uh, it can torpedo your lessons. Even if you've planned something really well, there's always some individual in the classroom who is either just being a bit slow that particular day or um, just has a personality which is disruptive or something. It's just almost impossible. Um, Next thing I wrote was this. I'm aware of how hard... I'm aware of how it's hard to be charming, funny or just yourself in another language. I think I must come across as quite different to my real personality, which is annoying. Um, so this is just that frustration I was finding that I couldn't quite come through as myself in French in those lessons. And normally what I like to do in a group scenario like that is to, I mean, I don't, I don't like to sort of dominate the group. I'm not that kind of alpha male who has to be the center of attention, but I do like to make 
people laugh sometimes or say things that are supposed to help the atmosphere in the room and I found that I would try and do that and just the teacher and my classmates didn't really understand what I was trying to do and so a thing that I had said that was intended to be funny just no one really understood it and so it was frustrating not to be to to be unable to be charming or funny and I wrote because I think my teacher and possibly other classmates don't really understand what I'm saying and therefore who I am I might give an example of what she's saying so I remember the teacher was trying to explain something and I remember trying to help by giving an example or you know trying to help out Um, I was trying to give an example to my classmates you know I thought that I might be able to help I hope I wasn't an annoying you know, one of those annoying students who tries to help the teacher. I don't know. I was just trying to help. But uh, I'd, so I'd give an example of what she was saying, but she doesn't think it's related uh, because I'm unable to specify what I'm talking about because of my poor French. It must seem like I'm not concentrating at all and I'm just rambling or trying to change the topic or trying to steal the attention in the room i can see how easy it is uh, to seem a bit like a dickhead or a problematic student and i wrote a note here for my teaching i have to remember to always give my students a chance sometimes somebody will say or do something that i will find strange or perhaps rude Uh, it might seem to me at the time to be like a sort of a power play like they're trying to dominate the classroom I have to remember that the language barrier often distorts people's personalities. Then again, sometimes it doesn't. And you do find uh, that people are the same in both languages, as I said. So maybe I really am someone who doesn't focus and talks without thinking and rarely makes sense. And perhaps I even enjoy derailing things, torpedoing things. I hope not. Anyway, it's just conf- it's complicated to do the finer, like, sort of, um, to, to negotiate relationships in um in another language uh the next note i wrote was this i find that i'm a bit weird i'm a bit strange in french i have to explain myself a lot and people often don't really understand what i'm going on about my head goes faster than my mouth so i'm i I have a tendency to ramble as we all know from this podcast that might work when i'm recording episodes of the podcast but when i'm trying to say something short and and um and succinct um in a classroom situation in another language that can be problematic so uh, yeah i have a tendency to ramble and that's because i'm afraid that people don't understand me so i repeat myself so i must be pretty strange in class i'm probably a bit weird but in english i'm quick enough to be able to turn that strangeness into being funny. I'm fast enough on my feet. I'm nimble enough with the language to be able to manage my weirdness and make it humorous instead of just strange. In French, I'm just a weirdo who doesn't make sense and perhaps disrupts the class. Uh, We do gap fills, uh, paper exercises that are so common in language learning. But paper exercises don't necessarily help in production of the language because you use different strategies for solving a gap fill exercise than you do for producing fluent, spontaneous speech. Um, The teacher has to be very patient and intuitive. Listening is it's very important for a teacher. We have to listen to our students, work out what they're trying to say, and then give them the English, or French in this case, that they need in order to say it. So we need to kind of try and be mind readers. Uh, 
Also, good activities are ones that present the students with a need to say certain things, so that they have to use the target language to complete the task. Then the teacher needs to pay attention to how we are completing the task, whether we're using the target language and using it correctly, and then give us the right feedback. So the teacher has to be very intuitive, patient. And able to kind of um, provide tasks that that force you to use the target language. Sometimes the teacher thinks I don't understand or just misunderstands me, but it's because I can't explain myself properly. I feel like talking about. I feel like talking about what we're talking about, huh?、Uh, what we're talking about means that we're communicating. Okay, I feel like talking about what we're talking about, like trying to. Talk about the language means that we're communicating on some kind of metaphysical level, where you need meta language to discuss the language that you're learning. It all gets terribly complicated. If you've ever studied grammar, you'll know that sometimes the meta language, like the language we use to talk about language, can be even more complicated than the language itself. So, so explaining something like.、Um, Present perfect tense in English, which would be you know I've had three cups of tea today so far. To say I've had three cups of tea today, you end up explaining that by saying, well, we're talking about three short finished actions which are connected to now.、Uh, they happened in the past, but there's a connection to now in the sense that the tea、uh, is, is finished,、uh, and yet the tea is still、uh, being digested in the stomach. You know. It's kind of like this really bizarre situation where you end up、um, on this meta linguistic level using language to talk about language, and it all gets incredibly complicated, especially in a second language. So, I can, again, I can understand how it must be tricky and frustrating to learn another language. It's certainly in a classroom.、Um, on the subject of pronunciation, I wrote this:、uh, the u. U and U sound, which I still can't do. U and U, and the teacher said, in an effort to try and help us to、uh, work out how to pronounce those sounds, she said, "Imagine you're being punched in the stomach." I think that's the U sound. Imagine you're being punched in the stomach, and she also said, "Imagine that your mouth is a chicken's ass." Now these are kind of fun. Uh, things, but it's just an example of how sometimes the teacher has to.、Uh, the teacher is kind of clutching at straws in an effort to、um, explain things.、Uh, I mean, clutching at straws. I mean, like desperately, you know, choosing a, a fairly desperate strategy or choosing the only possible strategy that they can they can choose in order to achieve something. Just clutching at straws, not quite getting it right. Doing the best they can. So imagine you're being punched in the stomach. Well, that's kind of funny, but doesn't really help me produce the right sound, does it? I mean, I guess the suggestion is that the sound is coming from the coming from the diaphragm, right? But I mean, if I was punched in the stomach, I probably wouldn't go ooh. I'd go like fuck, fuck.、Ugh. You know, I don't know what, what sound I'd make. And imagine that your mouth is a chicken's ass. Imagine your mouth. That's a very conceptual and bizarre. Uh, uh, thing to try and imagine, and it didn't really help me. It, had, it actually helped me. It, it didn't help me at all to understand how to produce the sound, but it did sort of make me laugh. So you know, that's at least that's something. So、um, it shows how、uh, it shows me how 
so much of our explanations are wasted if they aren't truly clear. We have to always think from our students' point of view. This is more about teaching than, than learning French, actually, uh, at this point in the podcast. Um, as a learner, I get the impression that I'm being told one thing about French, and then I go out and hear something different. And I kind of wonder, are they lying or just unaware of how their own language is being used in the real world? Or maybe I've got it wrong. Um, I wonder, as, a, as learners of English, if you've ever had that experience where you get taught one thing, maybe by your teacher or just from a book or something. And then when you hear the language in the real world, uh, it seems to contradict the things that you've been told. And you just think, Who, what's going on? Does my teacher, is my teacher lying? Are they just teaching me half the truth or do they not realize? Um, you know, it's, it's a bit confusing. A lot of the time I have no idea what's going on in the classroom or what the teacher is talking about. I'm just constantly spinning in space. No idea what's going on. I'm always right on the edge of understanding things, right on the edge of my comfort zone. That's how I felt a lot of the time in the classroom. Just like, just like, eh, what's what's going on? I don't understand what we have to do. What's I don't know what the what did she just say then? I don't know. Oh, okay, the next activity's starting. Okay, come on then, let's go, let's get on with that then. And uh, you know, just constantly catching up all the time. Um, I said it's a humbling experience. And quite sweet, too, because everyone in the class is a bit shy and they're just trying to do their best and everyone feels a bit stupid and I feel very stupid. So it's kind of funny and sweet and very humbling. You know, if, if something is humbling, it kind of makes you feel small, you know, um, but in kind of a good way. It just makes you realize that, you you know, uh, you're just a normal person just like everyone else and you just have the same challenges as everyone so it's quite a humbling experience um i wrote sometimes i just can't explain why i don't understand i don't have the meta language to describe what i don't understand um organization is vital in language learning keeping a good uh, record of vocabulary and other learning notes it's hard to oh but it's hard to stay organized when you have a busy life learning a language is a full-time thing you really have to devote yourself to it it can feel overwhelming but with step-by-step practice you can do it um slow students in the class bring the whole level of the class down sometimes i think to myself just leave them behind they're dead to us they're just like dead weight just leave them behind that's what i'm thinking but obviously the teacher can't do that it makes me wonder you know about my classes i'm sure that there are times when some of my uh, students get frustrated with each other in fact i'm convinced that there are times like that in fact it can be very very awkward when i'm teaching and it's like a little bit of a struggle and i notice you know some of the students are looking at other students and they might give each other little dirty looks sometimes um you know bits of frustration with each other i find that very awkward um and, you know, developing the right atmosphere in the classroom is very important to help prevent that sort of thing. You know, if, if people are on good terms with each other, if there's like a friendly, supportive atmosphere in the classroom, that can really help to prevent issues where people are getting frustrated with other members of the class and that affects the, the, the way the class progresses. So, again, it can't really be understated how important how important it is to create a good friendly supportive and patient atmosphere in the classroom and i expect probably that the actions of the teacher are really important in kind of dictating that um 
In a classroom environment, everyone has a lot of responsibility to work with each other. You need quite a tight team to make the whole thing work. Um, I felt a weird sense of camaraderie with the teacher because I'm a teacher too. But I think she didn't know this until the end. She didn't know that I was a teacher until the very end of the course. So I was there like feeling this sense of camaraderie, but I hadn't actually told her I was a teacher. I was wondering, should I tell her? Because I thought if I tell her, she might feel sort of uncomfortable because if there's another teacher there, she might feel like she's being judged, which she kind of was, as as you can see from this episode. But um, again, it's just a question of like, it's, it's weird when you are operating in a second language, sometimes you don't take initiative. And taking initiative is really important in managing relationships. I should have taken the initiative. I should have spoken to her at the end of a class one day and said you know in my broken French I could have said look I'm a teacher too I'm an English teacher and um, you know I I I, uh, I understand sometimes it, it can be difficult being a teacher can't it oh you know but I, I want to try and help the thing is though I was worried that if I'd said that 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 might have suggested to her that I thought she was having a, a difficult time you know, if you say, oh, you know, teaching's difficult, isn't it, sometimes? The suggestion there is that she's having a difficult time. So, you know, a little, I, obviously completely overthinking it. But um, that's probably why I didn't say anything. Um, at the end of the course, I felt a weird emotional feeling, an emotional pull. It was a bit sad or something to be finishing the course. It was all too brief. And I, I felt like I had so many things to say to the teacher. I wanted to kind of explain all these things about, you know, it's been really interesting for me seeing it from uh, the other point of view. And I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for all the hard work that you've been doing as a teacher. And I, I did actually manage to say a bit of that at the end. And she kind of, when I said that to her, she was like, oh, her response was a bit like, oh, so you're, a t- oh, I see. Like that seemed to explain my behavior. Um, I think probably because of the moments when I was trying to help her and I wasn't always annoying. I, you know, believe me, I wasn't always annoying. Sometimes, you know, I did manage to help her and, uh, she would like, she would say, yes, Luke is right. It's like what Luke said. And there are also moments when she asked us to go up in front of the class and do little presentations in French. And I was quite good at that exercise. Um, and everyone else was like very nervous, you know, you know, like the way you are when you have to do a presentation and stand up, you don't know how to hold yourself. You don't know what to do with your hands and stuff like that. But obviously I, I'm very comfortable doing that. So I was very relaxed and sort of obviously quite comfortable talking to the group, even if it was in a second language. And it was actually really a real relief to be able to stand up in front of everyone, because in a way, that kind of social interaction is is what I need, because it means that people naturally will pay attention to you and listen to you a bit more. Whereas if you're just sitting on a, you know, at a desk with everyone else, then the tendency is for people to just sort of like stop listening to you just because of the position that you're sitting in. But where if you're standing up in front of everyone and you're able to use your body language to hold their attention, it means that they will listen to you longer and they're probably more likely to follow what you're saying. And so I felt, you know, a better sense of control in that scenario. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that that was the end of my notes, um, uh, and what I'm just would like to do now is just wrap this up by talking about learning English or learning a language in the classroom versus learning on your own. 
Um, and so let's start with learning in the classroom. And we'll start with the positives. I mean, basically, o- overall, learning, um, learning a language, you know, you can do it on your own. You can do it in the classroom. Ultimately, it's about what you make of it. And uh, both situations have their advantages and their disadvantages. And at the end of the day, in fact, at any time of the day, um, it's about the way in which you use those scenarios um, um, as, uh, as, as well as you can. So it's what you make of it, ultimately. So in the classroom, here are some positives. So the classroom can be a safe space. It's a place where you can experiment, you can feel comfortable, you shouldn't worry if you're making mistakes. So, you know, it's a safe space. Um, you have a teacher, of course, who is a qualified person who hopefully has done this before a number of times. And so a teacher there who can answer questions that you have and listen to you and give you feedback and stuff like that. I mean, a teacher can be a, an extremely valuable um, person to have in your life when you're learning a language, of course. Um, in the classroom, you get actual speaking and writing practice on your own. It's, it can be hard to to do speaking and writing because you're on your own and you don't have anyone to speak to. There's no one to check your writing. But in a classroom, you can speak to the teacher. You can speak to your classmates. You can do writing exercises and give them to the teacher to, to, to have her uh, or him check them. So, you know, you get maybe some more chances to do actual speaking and writing. Um, in the classroom, you're in a group and that means you get uh, more varied activities for example different types of interaction you can talk to individuals you can talk to the group you can talk you know there's different sorts of activities you can do um, and also there's a chance to practice real communication you're not just studying from a book or repeating shadowing you're actually genuinely communicating trying to express yourself to, uh, uh, by speaking to another person which is the most natural um, sort of practice that you can do um, in a classroom you, you you probably will be following some sort of method um, you know if you're studying at a school the school has probably been the, the, the way the school works is probably based on certain academic approaches to understanding how people learn languages and there'll be a method involved the school probably will employ qualified teachers who have uh, you know ideas that are backed up by academic research about learning English so there'll be a method in place which is you know obviously a a good thing you you can feel like you're in safe hands Uh, and there's a program as well in in a language school they will have spent time preparing uh, a learning program which you can follow so there's a structure around you which can be very helpful there are textbooks usually textbooks are often excellent as resources for learning English or French, or whatever language it is. If there's a published textbook, it's probably a, it's probably good. Certainly for learning English, the textbooks these days produced by, you know, Macmillan, Oxford, Cambridge, they're very, very good. They've been doing it for many years now, and they really, they're really excellent resources, and you can trust them. So if you've got a good textbook, I mean, that's that provides you with you know so much of what you need um in a classroom environment there might be tests uh, your teacher might give you tests at the end so you can revise and review and see the things you're getting right and wrong you know and it can it help you identify your weaknesses and so on uh, you can ask questions if anything comes up you can just ask a question and even the act of asking the question in the target language can be good practice um you can experiment in a classroom as i said it's a safe space um you can just you know experiment and try things out uh you get the other students uh, you're learning with others 
which means you have a peer group, a group of people around you who are in the same situation, um, a community. And that means that you get the chance to share your experience. You get the support of the group. Hopefully, if it's a good supportive group, you might make some friends with those people. It's nice to have a community to to learn with. Um, You might get expert explanations from the teacher. Um, The teacher might be able to explain grammar to you in the way that um, you really need it to be explained. Because, uh, you know, who else can explain a language better than... Uh, a professional teacher of that language. Uh, You get the opportunity for correction, which is vital. Um, uh, They might offer different types of class at the school, so you might have the chance to do exam classes, for example, so that you can take an exam, which will give you a certificate of achievement in your target language. Um, Studying with other people gives you the chance to uh, learn from their mistakes as well. Hearing other people's English or French can be a good thing, because you you know you can learn from their mistakes, and you know this is proven to be true that we often will uh, you know notice the way someone else is using language. You can do that more objectively. Sometimes we can't really observe our own language usage because we're too involved in actually doing it, and our personalities are involved and stuff. But you can observe other people and the way they use language, and see the way the teacher corrects them, and then you can you can actually learn a lot from from that. Um, competition there might be a sense of competition you might be in a friendly way competitive with your classmates which could push you to perform better and better um the teacher's own material sometimes the teachers produce their own material if they're creative and motivated they might produce their own lesson material and sometimes that's the best stuff you know the stuff the teacher has produced themselves the teacher can then teach it really really well um so you know that can be really good uh, as i said before social life you know working with a group can be uh, just pleasant it's fun to socialize with people you might make friends and you might be creating memories that you'll always remember you know like that those experiences you had studying the language and the friends that you made uh, good times you know they can be really really good fun times that you will remember um And also, when you're studying in a classroom, nothing is stopping you from studying on your own as well. You can combine your private study routine at home uh, with classroom study. And you can use the classroom as a safe space, a place to test yourself and have your questions answered. And you can use your own personal time to do the learning that you need to do in your own way. And the combination of the two can often be really effective. Um, Studying in a class can be a convenient way to kind of ring fence several hours in the in the week uh, for exclusive language practice some people for some people it's too hard to 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 find the time and to be organized to build l- language learning into their routine so taking classes can be a very very convenient way to just block off a certain number of hours a week which will be dedicated to learning the language so it can be very convenient now what about the negatives of learning in a classroom Um, Well, um, you might be slower or faster than other people around you. You might get held back or you might get confused if everyone else is sort of, you know, um, able to understand it. But you aren't. You might find that weaker students drag you down to their level. But then again, often these are opportunities to learn. They don't have to be wasted moments. There might be a level difference. Um, But is this really a problem? The assumption is that you need to be with people who are higher than you, or at least equal to you, but 
this is a classroom environment this is not a social situation in a social situation maybe yes you should be with people who are at a higher level than you but in a classroom environment you don't necessarily need to be with people who are higher than you as long as your teacher is able to adapt things you know to you uh, personalities in class sometimes you just get the wrong balance of personalities and that means that nothing gets done properly you might just get one really horrible person who kind of spoils everything it does happen um class sizes sometimes classes are just too big and if a class is too big it can be hard for the teacher to manage effectively and you get less opportunities for talking time the teacher can't observe you properly what is a what what you might be thinking how many how many students is too big luke well it depends it really depends at the british council their maximum is 16 i think probably more than 16 in a class starts to get pretty tricky uh, but it depends depends on the way in which the class is being taught and stuff and the personalities in the group and even the room if the room is very you know small and everyone's squeezed in and it can get very loud anyway class sizes um, you have no control over various factors like for example the topic or the study point of the lesson who speaks what the interaction will be etc you might get to influence that a bit like if you tell the teacher your preferences but you simply can't expect the whole lesson to be done the way you want it to be done it's a group and you need to kind of uh, give up your your uh, specific needs to the needs of the whole group um when you study in a class there is a natural tendency it's maybe human nature there's a natural tendency to just sit back and to let yourself be spoon-fed uh, and there's that thing about reduced responsibility. You might give up the, your, you know, individual responsibility to the teacher, and that that's not very healthy for learning. Um, you might revert to the old mindset of being a pupil at school, which is where you kind of sit um, at your desk while the teacher talks and you're daydreaming, because maybe it's just human nature to do that. You know, in that scenario, especially when the teacher is. Um, uh, controlling everything um, hearing other people's English can be a bad thing if you're hearing other people speaking English or you know whatever the language is you're learning if they are making lots of mistakes and those mistakes are not being corrected that can be a bad thing it's possible to kind of have those mistakes uh, reinforced if you're hearing them a lot um, teacher talking time is often a factor you might have an annoying teacher um, you might get unlucky and, and find that the, the teacher is uh, is just annoying or not very nice. So some classes can be spoiled by having a bad teacher. Hopefully, if you go to a good school, that won't be a, a factor. Uh, studying in a language school can be expensive and it can be time consuming as well. Uh, often you have to give up um, whole days or uh, even a, a whole week or or two weeks or three weeks or even a whole academic year. It can be very expensive and time-consuming. It can be tricky to choose the right school. By the way, if you're thinking of studying English in, in the UK, uh, I always recommend that you check out the British Council's list of accredited language schools and you just Google British Council accredited schools uh, UK that'll probably do it and that's basically a way of at least finding language schools that have been given the thumbs up by the British Council which is usually a fairly good uh, um, indication of quality 
so yeah, it can be difficult to choose the right school. Uh, in your own country, if you're learning in a classroom in your own country, you might find that the students will probably be from your country, and this can be an advantage in that you will share things more closely, but this can be a disadvantage in that there's less variety and a lack of an international mindset, which is helpful in developing a broad mind and for, and also to practice uh, speaking to other non-natives from around the world because um, you know the chances are that in the future you will be speaking English to, to other non-native speakers so it can be very good practice to learn how to speak English with Chinese people Indian people uh, Japanese people uh, Spanish people Russian people you know Polish people Czech people whatever you know uh, Brazilians or, or Argentinians it can be good to practice speaking English with people from around the world and if you're studying in in your own country then you might not get to meet those people and and practice Um, okay what about studying on your own this is where it's just you and you do it yourself using whatever resources you can find Um, well on your own here are the positives well you can use all of the things that I've ever mentioned on this podcast all of the techniques and all the ideas that I've ever mentioned on this podcast to create your own personalized study plan or any other techniques or materials that you know the world of language learning is your oyster when you're doing it yourself and you know just dip into the episode archive uh, to find uh, ideas that I've talked about in the past. For example, you could listen to episode 174, which was called How to Learn English with Luke's English Podcast. That's full of ideas and other episodes in the archive. Um, There's plenty of free stuff for learning English now. Uh, Tons of it. I mean, there's so much free content for learners of English. It's unbelievable. Podcasts, YouTube videos, and just blogs and and other stuff the british council's website bbc learning english there's tons of free stuff to help you learn english now so you can you can work out what's best for you meaning you can identify you know if you've got specific needs you can probably find things that will help you with those specific needs you can set your own schedule you don't have to go at someone else's pace if you've got someone who's a bit slow in your class you don't have to kind of wait for them to catch up you can do you can you can go at your own pace um um you don't have to go to someone else's place as well meaning you can study at home you don't have to uh, put your shoes on go outside get on the bus and go down to the language school you can just stay at home you can do it in your pajamas if you like if you're organized you can build your own study plan that is tailored to you specifically and some learners of english do that the very organized people they will set out their needs their aims um, and things like that um uh, as I've said, there's a massive amount of online stuff available, including things like one-to-one lessons with italki. Um, there's there are plenty of grammar practice and explanations online. You can surround yourself with English these days by using things like podcasts, books, italki, and stuff like that. So you can simulate an immersion. Um, you you take responsibility for yourself. And that's ultimately the, the most important thing, you know, that it, it encourages you to take responsibility for yourself because you don't have a teacher who decides what happens. You have to do it yourself. It's cheaper. You don't have to pay for language classes. You can probably do it all free. Ultimately, um, ultimately, this is the only way in the end. Learning on your own is probably the only way. Even when you're studying in a group, you still have to do it yourself to an extent because nobody can learn a language for you. 
So whatever approach you choose, you'll always have to be responsible for your own learning at the end of the day. Even if you're in a group, you still have to be motivated to do the homework, to pay attention, to ask the right questions, to go out of your comfort zone and stuff like that. Negatives of studying on your own. There's a lot of pressure on your shoulders because you've got to do it all yourself and you've got to keep yourself motivated. So it can be quite hard. Um, You have to be extremely organized and devoted. Um, I guess you don't have to be. You could be chaotic uh, and you might get there in the end. But it tends to work if you have at least some sense of organization. Like, for example, keeping a record of vocabulary that's recorded in the right way. Setting a few objectives that are uh, achievable. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, You have to be able to manage your own time and your own workflow yourself. And let's face it, most of us need a helping hand in managing our time. It's hard to build learning English into everything you do, even though that's probably what you need to do to get to the higher levels. So if you're living in a country where English isn't the main language, it can be kind of a struggle to constantly get the English into your life. It seems a bit unnatural. Uh, So it can be quite hard to do that. Uh, There's no teacher to correct your mistakes and give you a plan. It can be lonely. Oh, it can be a bit lonely if you're on your own, if you don't have any mates to study with. Uh, Nobody, you you might not have anyone to talk to in your target language unless you go online and check out italki or you find a Skype group or something. Uh, Materials, there's the question of which materials am I going to use? It can be very time-consuming to hunt down the material, to evaluate it and and stuff like that. Um, um, Also, you don't get guidance or advice from a teacher or from other students, uh, or at least it's difficult to find that kind of guidance. So there's no support network around you. In the end... Ultimately, the classroom is a resource which you uh, have to learn how to use. It can be a convenient way to get English practice in your life. Um, And it can be nice to have a teacher who's got a method, uh, a study program and stuff like that, correction and all those things. But ultimately, whatever the situation, personal motivation and your approach to what you do These are the most important things. And if you have the right level of motivation, you can use the classroom to your advantage. But it is limited. Outside of class, you've got more freedom, but that can often result in you doing nothing. Noise from outside. I don't know what that was. Classroom situations give you a bit more focus. Um, So learning in a classroom is just part of what you can do. It works really well for lots of people, but not so well for others. It's all about how you approach it. In the end, you have to get to know yourself and your own ways of learning. If classroom learning suits you, go for it, but make sure that you use that classroom as a resource and get the most from it. If classroom learning doesn't work for you, that's okay, but you need to be very motivated, disciplined and so on, so that you develop habits in your own time, but you have to be quite organized for that. Um, So I could go on. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. It has helped me to reflect on my French a bit. I feel a bit better now, to be honest, after having talked about uh, my slightly shameful uh, French, uh, or at least my my, the the shameful thing is that I'm not practicing enough. Uh, But I feel a bit better about it now. I think my French is improving, honestly. It's just improving slowly, not as quickly as I'd like. And it does feel a bit overwhelming, but I must remember the example of the elephant. Do you remember that one? How do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat it just one spoon at a time. I don't know why you, you want to eat an elephant, 
But any, let's let's say that you do. You'd eat it one spoon at a time. Mm-hmm. Right, you know that one. You have to do. You have to eat regular spoons though, one spoon at a time, as often as you can, and you have to enjoy it too. I've no idea how an elephant tastes, but since this is just a metaphor and we're making it up, let's just say that this elephant is made of the finest Belgian chocolate. Mmm, yum, yum, yum. I also want to say at the end here how impressed I am by those of you out there who have improved your English to a good degree. Many of my listeners, that's you, uh, you have developed your English really, really well, often starting from a very basic level and not living in an English-speaking environment, and I'm very proud of you. This takes dedication, work, time, and effort. I'm also impressed by those of you who've learned English using my podcast, Many of you listen until the end of episodes. You follow me banging on about stuff. You write carefully worded comments and emails. You send voice messages. And of course, outside of podcast related things, I'm sure that you do plenty of other things too for your English that I'm not aware of, um, even when it's difficult. So you've done really well. And I just want you to know that I'm really impressed and proud of you. I know the challenge of learning a language, believe me. So I'm really impressed and proud of you and also flattered that you choose to listen to my episodes as part of your English language learning lifestyle. There must be moments when you're listening to my episodes where you're lost or you're confused, but you've kept going and it's bound to help and I'm sure it has done. Uh, Well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. Well done, you. And thank you very much for listening to this long episode of the podcast. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon, but for now... Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 